Hello. Uh, welcome to Immature Politics with me, Terry Wang. And, and myself, Cooper Smith. So the pilot episode went really well. Um, we had a good amount of feedback and um, response from it. So I'm really happy about that. And, um, you know, we have a whole lineup of different topics coming up for the next, uh, I'd say, five-ish episodes, probably. Um, about, yeah. Yeah. And today we'll, we're going to be talking about good old environmental stuff and what Trump administration is planning on doing currently. Um, but anyway, um, before we go into that, I want to talk about some recent events and new stuff and like cover some of that. Um, and as of today, there's been a few articles saying that the Trump administration, or specifically the DOJ and FCC, um, have requested the Supreme Court to vacate the 2016 net neutrality ruling. Have you heard of that? I did not hear about that, no. Yeah. Well, that's coming up, which is going to be very interesting. Wait, who, who's involved in this? The DOJ and the uh, DOJ FCC. and FCC, yeah. Agit Pai. And what what are they trying to do? They're trying to reverse the uh, or they they're trying to go. To, they want to they want the Supreme Court to vacate the 2016 net neutrality ruling. Um, that's oh, gonna be interesting. I suppose so. Yeah. On what grounds? Um, I'm not sure exactly on what grounds. Let's look at this article. Um, it says here that um. Well, uh, it says here that if the court decides to grant the motion, the previous decision to support the rules would be removed, clearing a path for relitigation of the future when it comes to classifying broadband. All right. Yeah. So um, I'm guessing they want to. They're trying to treat internet and internet access as more of like consumer product instead of a utility now. Which okay. I don't, I don't like the idea of that. It's, it seems like more or less arguing over this over semantics than actual legality. Yeah. Typical. But... <laughs> okay. <sighs> I hate uh... government. <laughs> uh, let's see what else. Well, there have been several different um, things going on with the Supreme Court, along with Mueller and all that stuff, which I know you have a lot of doubts about. Eh. I mean, I just think it's irrelevant. Hmm. I mean, it's. I mean, it's. I mean, it's not irrelevant towards, you know, what's currently going on in the political climate. It's actually very damaging, I think. Mm-hmm. But the whole investigation itself, uh, like the substance of the investigation, is irrelevant. And even the uh, the the uh, the premise upon which the investigation is based on is irrelevant and wrong. I think. Well, but that's something um, we can talk about in a later episode. Yeah, definitely. Um, in other news, there's... Have you seen the 3D printed guns? Ah, yes, pistols? I did hear. I heard about that. Yeah. I'm very happy about that. You're very happy about that? Very happy about that. And I thought that the... Uh, the um, I don't know what his title is. I guess uh, the manager of the um, company that produces these... Uh, 3D printing instructions for these uh, for these weapons. I thought that it was a very smart move on his part to really? argue on uh, First Amendment grounds rather mm-hmm. than Second Amendment grounds mm-hmm. for the uh, 
for the uh, the allowing of um, the distribution of these instructions for yeah. these 3D printed guns. My only concern is that I have a feeling it's going to be... It's like, now you can just make... like It's a DIY gun, so... Um, if it's a do-it-yourself gun, then you can... Literally anyone can get it, get some rounds for it, and then just go ham. Which I'm kind of... I'm, I'm a tad bit worried about. I feel like it's... There's not... There's no, like... Real, like, safeguards... Or, like, you know, safety nets around it. Like, think about it. Just anyone with a 3D printer can get it. Like, a kid could get it. Have his dad's, like, buy him some rounds and then go shoot up someplace. I mean, I know that sounds unrealistic, but, like, still, that's... Granted, there are great expenses. I mean, a 3D printer in and of itself is a large expense. That's and true, yeah. There's an even greater, I mean, even more of an expense in a time that's put in for the actual uh, gun parts to be 3D printed. Mm-hmm. So, I, uh, yeah, I suppose that there's some safety concerns and some of those uh, grievances, uh, those concerns are legitimate mm-hmm. in many cases, but overall, I don't think that this is something that'll be too detrimental towards public safety. Okay. Well, anyway, moving on to the, the final... What I do think will be a problem, though, is when, uh, if the ATF comes for these weapons, uh, you're going to have people dumping these plastic guns into the ocean. Oh, yeah, that's true. And that is a segue into the topic of this podcast. Well, no, before we, using, before we use the segue, I want to do right. a... Well, uh, I want to do a final... Um, topic of recent events this is from political uh politico um anyway it's the article was released today it states that judge orders full restart of daca program oh yeah i heard about that yes yeah not too not too keen on that i don't know i I feel i feel pretty happy about that i don't understand the premise on uh, upon which she can do that the president has i mean for one uh daca is slash was uh, an unconstitutional program. Really? Uh, absolutely. I feel like it's more of a... It's a immigration plan. I don't understand how is that unconstitutional. It's, I mean, because the power to make a uniform... To make an, a national immigration policy is vested within the Congress of the United States. And DACA was created through... The executive order of Barack Obama without any congressional uh, congressional uh, influence or legislate or, or legislating. It was a complete. It was completely. It was unilaterally made by President Obama through executive order, which is a violation of com- of um, of uh, separation of powers and the power of Congress to make a uniform rule on naturalization and immigration. Uh, and so, likewise, President Trump has the unilateral authority to repeal it through executive order. And I'm glad that he did it when he did it. But then uh, again, would him repealing something through an executive order also be a violation of constitutional like separation of powers? Um, 
Because he's some, executive someone, some, order. Someone had brought up that point, and I don't necessarily think so. Really? I, I don't necessarily... I think that it's a bit of a paradox if you think about it. Uh, I suppose the two other ways in which it could... DACA could have been overturned is if uh, the Supreme Court were to rule uh, it unconstitutional mm-hmm. or um, if Congress were to pass legislation that was contrary to DACA or directly repealed DACA. But I think that in the case with executive power, Mm-hmm. Uh, hold on a second. Let me just. I forgot to pull out my pocket constitution before we start. Oh dear. Uh, hold on a second. Let me see if there's anything in Article Two about this. Um... We don't have too much time for this. Yeah. Okay. Basically, the point that I'm trying to make is that if DACA. Since seeing as how DACA was created unconstitutionally through uh, the unilateral power of the executive by executive order, uh, Trump, being president, also has the unilateral authority to restore uh, the Constitution and constitutional separation of powers by Mm -hmm. returning it. Okay. So I suppose that 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 was my justification. I suppose. Okay. Well, yeah. By the way, um, can you hear me all right? Yeah, you're all right. perfectly fine. Okay. Earlier, you sound pretty far away. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, okay. That's some interesting insight into the current or recent events that have been going on in politics. Um. Well, now I guess we can begin talking about our main topic. The environment. Yes, the environment. Environmental issues and all that good stuff. Um, Let's see. Do you want to present your opening argument? Uh, Before we do, I think that we should uh, establish a, I suppose, a consensus as to uh, what are the primary environmental concerns like like what uh what do you think uh or what would you say poses uh the most significant threat to environmental safety and security or rather and and likewise what is the role and extent that government has in uh, providing solutions to those problems? Well, um, I guess, first of all, Trump planning on repealing or getting rid of ESA, um, Endangered Species Act, which I think is not good at all. Um, Trump's move in the beginning of his administration to pull out of uh, the Paris Accords environmental accords mm-hmm. um which was also incredibly terrible um what else well he has 
he's a big supporter of the coal industry, especially um, stating or saying the phrase clean coal lot, which I find very, very, um, it's the two words clean oxymoronic. And yeah, it's very oxymoronic. Just they don't go that well together. Um, but yeah, just anything related to environmental stuff and how people and like another thing like the fact that people like some people just don't believe that global warming is going on or that you know we need to like do something to improve or like do something about how ice caps in Greenland are constantly melting and falling apart and the fact that sea levels are rising the fact that the temperature is heating up the fact that in because of this drought and because of a lot of crazy weather patterns, California has been heating up like crazy. And we are having a bit of like a water, not really water crisis, but we're having issues with getting enough water to our residents. Agriculture is being affected by it. Not to mention all the uh, forest fires that we've been having yes. recently. Yeah, that's true, especially the recent car fire. Yeah, that um, can, but that can be attributed to the uh well actually never mind are, are you gonna say something about the australian trees yeah yeah <laughs> i was the eucalyptus <laughs> the yeah. eucalyptus yes um and their thing how marine life and especially the corals are being harmed by global warming and heating up of our water yeah the acidification of the ocean yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh I, I saw there was some article that i read something about how like um like how fast the Great Barrier Reef is deteriorating, mm-hmm. which is fed astonishing. Bad. Yeah. What what is happening? What what's happening? Astonishing. It's astonishing. Oh yeah, it's astonishing. Truly. Yeah. I thought you said like massaging. Oh no no no, <laughs> definitely not. No. Anyway, so yeah, you want to present your opening yeah. arguments, thoughts? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um. As a constitutionalist, while I believe that environmental protection is a role of government, I don't believe that it is a role of the federal government, nor do I believe that the federal government can effectively uh, protect the environment whatsoever, just because of how bureaucratic and disconnected from the public the federal government is. Um, And to reference uh, the Constitution itself, specifically Article 10, which deals with uh, reserved governmental powers, Mm -hmm. it states that, um, hold on a second, that, quote, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. So clearly from the language of the 10th Amendment, the issue of environmental protection, which is not a power that is delegated to the federal government at all in in Article 1, Section 8, or any other uh, article, section, or clause throughout the Constitution, uh, except to when it might come to uh, interstate rivers or something like that, like uh, clearing debris, on mm-hmm. in, riv- in canals, rivers, uh, mm-hmm. roads, bridges, but other, uh, in order to 
uh, allow for uh, the proper facilitation of interstate commerce. Um, but other than that, all issues of all, all matters of uh, protecting the environment and environmental statutes are an issue that is reserved to the states under the 10th Amendment. And I believe that the states have a responsibility uh, to protect their environments. I believe that individual state governments know better than any bureaucrat in Washington what measures need to be taken to uh, protect their wildlife. Um, I think that federal bureaucracy, which operates under a one-size-fits-all uh, sort of methodology, uh, well, blatantly just can't, for one, it can't work in every single state the same. Uh, different states need different uh, policies for their, uh, for their own individual environments. And they, meaning the state governments, know better than the federal government how to deal with that. Um, so holding that position, I believe that the uh, rolling back of previous uh, environmental regulations are good and that the withdrawal from the Paris Accord was good, not only because it's no place for the United States to be in, but also because it was uh, it disproport it, it unfairly uh, put obligations on the United States uh, that were not met by other developing nations. Well, that's because the United States is a is one of the nations that has the largest carbon footprint in the world. That is very true, but if the United States were to reduce its carbon footprint and other developing countries like say China or Russia or India or Bangladesh uh, don't also reduce their carbon emissions. Uh, well, by the Paris Accord, by the terms of the Paris Accord, all nations who agree to it or ratify it are obligated to follow along with those standards, with those obligations, with those like the things sure, that they need to do. Absolutely, there are obligations, but the problem with uh, international agreements like this is that you don't necessarily you don't have an intermediate body to ensure that the obligations are carried out. Unlike something like you, uh, unlike something unlike a bilateral um, negotiations, in which you have parties who have obligations, and each party has the ability to ensure that these obligations are met. Uh, that's why I think that for one, uh, that's why I believe that the West Coast, uh, you know, um, California, Oregon, Washington State, uh, should form and there and even the uh, uh, the Western provinces of uh, Canada and the Western states of Mexico should form their own environmental treaties and alliances, of course, approved by the, uh, the federal government to uh, instate their own environmental uh, standards and regulations uh, to how they see fit. And many states and many states in the United States actually have done this in the United States Climate Alliance, uh, where they themselves have taken on uh, the obligations of the Paris Accord. Uh, even though that it is a 
blatantly unconstitutional alliance because it has not received uh, the uh, the consent of Congress. Uh, but I think that it would be that you would have greater results in all parties uh, in reducing their car their uh, carbon footprint uh, or uh, environmentally unfriendly emissions if you have bilateral negotiations rather than um, international uh, international conglomerate uh, alliances and agreements where no party has an ability to see if the other party is meeting their obligations and many times they don't. Is that all? In regards to the Paris, in, in regards to the Paris Accords, yeah, I suppose so. Okay. Um, so my thoughts on this is that the United States as like one of the largest exporters, well, not really exporters, but like the largest producers of carbon, of carbon emissions, of um, the largest, one of the largest, na- and one of the nations that use the largest amount of oil. We have the obligation to really do something about it. We have the obligation, since we're one of the largest producers of carbon, we have to do something about it. I mean, yeah, sure, it might not be fair that a small country like Belgium can just do whatever they want, or like a nation like Norway can just be like, oh, whatever about it. But that's because they don't produce as much carbon as us. And the fact is, as one of the world leaders, we should be taking the step up, the step forward, to show that, hey, if we're willing to do this, it shows, it shows that a large nation like us, we have the capabilities of doing such a thing. While, and like, if we can do it, then yes, as a nation, as a smaller nation, you have the ability to do something. Since it should be much easier for you as a smaller nation to enact a change. Oh, that is... That's not true at all. That Develop- should be. I am pretty. Well, no, I'm saying like a smaller nation like Belgium or or like even Iceland. Oh, you're talking about like geographically. Yes, like, while- yeah. Well, even with I was looking at that from the purview of economically smaller nations, um, g- developing countries, which mm-hmm. right now don't have the economic capacity to yeah. switch over to green uh, green forms of energy like solar and wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if they were to do so, which would have to be imposed by um, their governments because, you know. Oh, yeah, I understand. I was talking in the context of developed nations that have the ability to, or yeah, I, nations that have the ability to do something about it. I, yeah, I see that. But in when looking back and looking at other instances in which the United States has gone out of the way to set an example to be a, a good Samaritan and hopefully encourage that good Samaritan behavior in other countries. It hasn't necessarily worked per se. Do you have an example? Well, I mean, look at nuke. Uh, I suppose, for example, um, I suppose if you want to look at the biggest example, you could look at like the United Nations, you know, uh, most United States, uh, and sorry, most United Nations resolutions uh, which deal with very important issues, uh, never really come to fruition and never really have their obligations met by uh, all participating countries. And even if they're carried out by uh, more developed countries, uh, like Belgium, like Norway, 
like Sweden, like Germany, like France, they're not carried out by uh, smaller developing countries like Russia or uh, India or Latin American countries, you know, uh, Colombia, uh, Venezuela, countries like that. And I think especially if we're, I think especially if we're talking about an issue such as climate change and carbon emissions, in which there is a lot at stake, uh, maintaining environmental stability and uh, the conservation of a sustainable environment. Uh, you shouldn't have one country picking up the slack from the very beginning. It should be an effort that is met by all countries at the same time, uh, consistently reducing their carbon emissions. Well, uh, what I think is... I don't think it's necessarily fair for the United States to have to uh, but, okay, show an example. Is, the thing is, when it comes to something as our planet when it comes to something as our ecosystem, when it comes to something as the survivability of our human species, whichever country is like taking up the slack, whichever country is doing all the work, whichever country is putting effort into it, whichever country is able to put an effort into it, whether or not it's legal or not to do something to improve our environment, that shouldn't matter when it comes to protecting our Earth, protecting our planet... Or protecting our survivability as a species. I there agree was, with you, and that's those, why I think, and I, that's why I think that all uh, human countries but should the thing do that. Is, like, even, but the fact is, if we, if people are unhappy, like the fact that people are unhappy that the United States has to do all the work with this and that, like the fact that they're not happy that you that the United States has to put effort into much more effort into protecting our environment doesn't make sense to me because we should be putting all of our effort into we should be putting all of our effort we to should do just so. be like, but for, we should also expect countries like russia and china and india to be putting in the same amount of effort that we in that we do. but then that doesn't justify pulling out of a climate agreement yes it does because it if those countries doesn't. aren't because it does because if those countries aren't going to uh put in the same amount of effort that the United States is going to, then we even, even Trump said that he was willing to negotiate. He, he didn't, he pulled out of it, not because he disagreed with climate redu- uh, with uh, emissions reduction. He pulled out of it because he believed that it was not a, a, a fair deal for the United States. He didn't understand why the United States was. Uh, had, then explain um, to me, why is a nation like the United Kingdom or France willing to stay in? Because they didn't have as much of an obligation as we did. They didn't have to put in as much effort. But the thing is, is that it's just... Eve, okay, my reasoning would be when it comes to just protecting our environment, when it comes to something like that, it shouldn't... It really just should not matter whether or not that person isn't putting in all their efforts. It's just as much as we need to do as our nation, as the United States, we must do as much as we can ourselves to first fix our problem of our carbon footprint. And then once we're able to reduce our carbon footprint, we should be going to those other countries, making sure that they're doing it. But the fact that like the fact that we have to pull out and not follow by those obligations, not even like do put any effort 
into doing it just so that they put in their effort dumbfounds me. Well, I don't necessarily understand why it should dumbfound you. If we, if, if we have to bear uh, more, of ob- more obligations in reducing, if we have to do more uh, than any other country in the Paris Accord, in reducing our carbon for uh, our carbon footprint, uh, looking to the proportions in which uh, these other other these other countries are operating, like the United Kingdom, like France, they're not doing the most that they they weren't do uh, under the Paris Accord. Uh, they wouldn't have been doing the most that they could have done. And even if they did, uh, you still had countries like Russia and China and India. Uh, well, China, did... I'm pretty sure China is in the Paris Accords. Yes, but just because, but again, just because a country is, agrees to something, especially when it's a uh, multinational agreement like the Paris Accords, there's no intermediate force to ensure that each country is upholding their obligations, like with a, bina- like with a, uh, a bilateral agreement. I mean... Okay, the issue like is, the, is the, that... the United States doesn't have the ability to, uh, even if, let's say that the United States were to meet their obligations in the Paris Accord, they wouldn't have the ability to go to the United Kingdom, go to France, go to Russia, go to China, go to India, go to Germany, go to uh, Belgium, to ensure that they were meeting their obligations as well. But, okay, so, then are even you saying, they, are you saying that did, the United States has to do more compared to the United Kingdom? Yeah. Well, then that makes sense because we produce more carbon than them. Of course. Right? Then, yes, of course. Then but that I've... means no matter what circumstance, the United States will, ha- will have to do more compared to a nation like the United Kingdom, compared well, to a nation like France. They'll have to reduce more. They'll have to reduce more because we produce more. But then... The thing is, how does that hurt us? There's nothing wrong with reducing more. There's nothing wrong with continuing to do what we because can if do. These other, because if these other countries aren't reducing proportional we to what we're producing, to, then, it's then, not a fair, then it's not a fair deal. But then are we and just it's gonna, not, and it's not And it's not helpful towards the issue of, uh, of, uh, of climate change and of, carbon, and of global carbon emissions. But then I don't understand is that are we just going to sit there and pout and be like if they're doing we didn't nothing sit, we didn't sit there in power but the fact we, is we, that we, we we're pulled, not we pulled out and we said that we would rejoin if it, it well at least this is what trump said well, that we would rejoin once the deal was renegotiated in which each country would have to do more well then why can't we just continue to do what we need to do for the paris accords while they can just do whatever they want like it's not hurting us. It's not hurting our economy. Oh, it absolutely does hurt us. How does that hurt our economy? Well, are you what, saying what, that what specific ob- what what specific obligation are you referring to? Well, I'm saying because I mean, well, I mean, just cutting emissions itself requires regulation. It requires regulation on business. It requires, and it what it does is that it ultimately uh, increases the like. Regulation on coal mining, say, that Obama had imposed that was rolled back by um, under the Trump administration. When you impose regulations and excessively high and uh, 
excessively high taxes on uh, coal production. That is a government imposed regulation that increases the cost of uh, that material of that product. And thus uh, the overall price of energy is increased, which is not good for the, is not good for the economy. You know, an, an artificial increase in prices is never good for an economy. And also when looking at things like uh, switching over to green energy, by the way, I believe in an, I believe in, um, I believe in a total, well, I guess not total. I believe in a, I believe in free markets for one. And I believe that the principle of free markets can, sh can and should be applied towards the energy sector. Uh, I think that coal should be free to be produced and purchased and used. Uh, same with oil, same with uh, green energy, such as solar and wind. And I think that a free market would be the best solution towards uh, renewable alternative sources of energy uh, in the future, like solar and wind, uh, as an economy become as uh, the costs of using solar and wind become lower than that of coal and oil, which is projected to happen at some point in the near future. Uh, Why can't we just devote our most of our efforts into renewable energy instead of continue to subsidize and support coal and oil? Well, I don't believe in the subsidization of coal and oil, but I don't believe in subsidies, period. Uh, but we did subsidize uh, alternative well, like, why, like, then like, why do you continue to support the coal and oil industry if they're not helping us, if they're not helping the environment? If we are able I, to I, I transfer... That's, I disagree with... I, like, like I said, I disagree with all forms of subsidies, and I disagree with the subsidization of the coal and oil industry, uh, just as I disagree with the subsidization... Uh, just as I disagreed with the subsidization of Solyndra under the Obama administration, which was supposed to be uh, a quote-unquote government investment towards green energy that we didn't get a return on, and we just ended up in investing more into that company, even though that we didn't yield uh, anything from it. The, we didn't gain a, um, a greater supply of green energy technology, and the cost of it didn't go down, and more people weren't using it. Okay. So even when we do, when we... Uh, uh, put in effort to when the government put in, puts in effort to uh, switch our economy towards renewable forms of energy like solar and wind, uh, like solar uh, in the case with Solyndra, it doesn't work because government uh, government interference in the economy doesn't necessarily uh, yield the greatest results. So I'm going to go back on to Paris um, agreement topic. What I just think is that the fact that the United States has to pull out and not do anything by the Paris Accords just because some other nation isn't completely doing something by Paris Accords doesn't make sense to me. Because what we should be doing is staying in the Paris um, Agreement, doing what the Paris Agreement wants us to do, and then after that, once we're able to complete our goals, complete the objective, then we worry about the other nations. 
or we can even do it at the same time. It doesn't just because someone else is doing. How it would we be that... able to do it at the same time, though? What what is what I'm asking is what is the I suppose uh, the method or the vehicle in which we would make sure that countries were meeting their obligations, and if they weren't, what who what force would be exercised and who would exercise that force? To ensure that they would be that's the main flaw with uh agree international agreements like this well then is why, that there's no but, way of enforcing it but why can't we just do the paris agreement like while we make sure that while while we pressure other nations to abide by a paris agreement well because well for one it's unfair to us but it's and, just like the fact that it's unfair but even but, even, but no, no 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 but even you if can't we just say even that if we protecting the environment under an unfair but it wouldn't no 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 but it, it wouldn't even be protecting the environment even if the if the united states were to cut its uh, its carbon emissions tomorrow just zero percent carbon emissions tomorrow it would have a basically no effect you're Especially, saying that the united states one of the largest carbon producers would have no effect if if we cut carbon emissions tomorrow there would be no effect on yeah over time in the long run this is all not about even the that, long not even, run. Not even that necessarily. But you're okay. Then what you're saying here is that the United States, as a carbon producer, doesn't matter on the global scale when it comes to carbon emissions. Is that not correct? If, not if individually. Not if just, no. That's why we need to. That's why we need to ensure that other countries are doing okay. their part. And so if there's no way to ensure that they are doing their part, and if we have a disproport, and if we have <clears> a, a disproportionate obligation to reduce carbon emissions, then other develop and then other. Uh, developed in developing countries, then it really isn't going to have any effect in reducing carbon emissions. Cooper, I'm looking at this graphic right now, and it's a pie chart of the carbon emissions by nation. Mm -hmm. So Japan is 3.5%. Russia is 4.9%. India is 6.8%. The European Union is 9.8%. United States is 14.3%. China is 29.4%. And other nations are 31.5%. So you're saying that if we took out 14.3 of carbon emissions, it won't make well, any what, difference. Well, that's not looking at total carbon emissions into the atmosphere. We have uh, that, sh that, that pie graph, I, I assume, is only looking at carbon emission uh, of um, industrial carbon emissions, carbon emissions that are output through, um, through uh, industrial economies in each country. There are, there are of course, carbon emissions that are emitted naturally. No, the graph literally like, says carbon emissions by jurisdiction. Carbon emissions by jurisdiction. Well, so okay. if it's referring to yeah. jurisdiction, then it's referring to, uh, I would assume if, they're, if they use the term jurisdiction, they're referring to the industrial sectors for each of those countries. The, the United States alone, as a geographic body, doesn't put out 14% of all total carbon emissions. It might... It, what it's referring to, I assume, uh, and would be the uh, the logical way of view, of interpreting that graph is that it's referring to uh, industrial sector carbon output. In which case, even if we were to remove all of that, we have a you said China, which is what did you say? It was like twenty four percent, twenty three percent, twenty three percent. We'd still have China that uh would be as, uh, putting out but that much we, carbon as well. the United States is still one of the leaders in carbon emissions. That's the basic fact. 
That is a basic fact. And it's also a basic fact that China uh, emits yeah, more okay, carbon according like, to this graph. Look, would you rather have a little done compared to none done? Look. I just if the United, don't understand. States, If the United States were to reduce all carbon emissions tomorrow and none other country were to do that, that would really hurt us and it would that would not, really hurt it, us how i've explained i've already explained by economics well then yes why economically can't... it would be extremely damaging to us because we already have such a reliance on uh and a dependency on coal and oil uh and other carbon emitting well forms then why of can't we begin transitioning into more renewable energy such as solar because... and wind because the only because an economy will only be ready to transfer uh, into renewable forms of energy like solar and wind when the cost of when the when the cost of those forms of energy uh, is less than the current forms of energy that we are already using and if they're not and if the government imposes restrictions and price controls on uh, other forms of energy that is going to be extremely damaging economically. That's been a consistent trend with all intervention, uh, with all uh, interventionist economic models. So, okay. All right, then. Why? Then explain to me this. A country like Norway that has their state-owned oil company using carbon capture technology, while at the same time, their government uses that state-owned oil company to begin funding their own national trust. And that national trust begins funding Norwegian companies that are focusing on renewable energy is unable, and if that practice is unable to be replicated in the United States, then what can the United States do then? Explain. I mean, yeah, I understand. I understand that a state-owned oil company isn't going to be something that will happen in the United States. But why can't the government just begin focusing on helping companies that are focusing on? Okay, look, like what's what's that company? Sylvia. Uh, Solyndra. Solyndra. Okay. Solyndra. Okay, fine. That was a bad. That was like an instance where government funding went wrong. Can you show me an instance in which government funding has not gone wrong? Because I can't think of I can I can't think of one throughout history in which a private uh, well, company why in a market economy. Then why can't the government of the United States begin help begin to develop its own methods of making solar and wind cheaper? What do you so? You, wh- what why do you can't mean by not, that? Why can't the EPA? Why can't we put more money into the EPA? to help them develop more efficient means of renewable energy. So you're saying that the EPA itself would... Environmental Protection Agency, or the... whatever agency, whatever agency the government has at its, at its disposal, is why can't we help whatever gov- government agency support renewable energy and focus on more efficient and cost-effective means of renewable energy? So are you, are you suggesting that an agency like the EPA uh, take on the role of 
basically becoming a research and development branch of the federal government for renewable form for uh is there a problem with form. that is there a problem with begin researching on oh. renewable energies well research because... and research and development typically only works in a private sector in a in a uh was in the, the manhattan sector. project a private sector project i mean yes and no 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 it was not because it no, was I mean, a it, government it, well, project for the army and why can't we do why can't we just do a government research project well, for one, that focuses on renewable energy but the thing is like legalities well, should be thrown out of the window when it comes to renewable energy and protecting our environment. I don't understand why people have to be like, it's unconstitutional to join the Paris Agreement when it focuses on protecting our environment. If it does something for the greater good, then why do you have to put so many restrictions on it? Well, that's the question. We could spend an, we could spend an uh, entire weeks arguing on the notion of the greater good. But again... Looking at looking at something like uh, the Manhattan Project, we didn't use the Manhattan pro the we didn't uh, use the Manhattan Project as a way to stimulate the economy, or um, as a oh program. hell yeah, it stimulate the economy, create jobs for uranium mining, well, nuclear reactors. It stimulated us. It's stimulated a specific market, and it added some wealth to the overall economy but that's not the but that wasn't the object of the program the object of the program was to stat was to uh um create nuclear weapons so that we could uh potentially use them against the japanese and uh probably the soviet union uh but what you're suggesting with turning the epa into a research and development arm uh, of the federal government to create solar energy uh let me just add like so with the manhattan project there was an active incentive the incentive was to win the war what what would be the incentive to the active incentive is to protect the environment to protect the earth i don't understand why there's no there's do you honestly isn't a greater incentive than that do you honestly believe that government bureaucrats would Act, would actually act okay, within fine. the interests of okay, the fine, greater fine. good, as you would the suggest? CDC. The CDC continues to do research on the public health of the United States. The CDC has done lots of in- investigations on HIV and how to prevent them. The CDC conducts research. Mm-hmm. The FDA de- conducts research on food and drugs. Mm-hmm. And the greater good is to protect the American people from harmful things. But in each of those, but in each of those cases, they're doing research. They're conducting, um, they're conducting research papers. And that's exactly they're gathering what I'm sati- saying. They're gathering statistics, but they're not doing any developing. They're not developing any cures to HIV or AIDS. They're not developing uh, any cures for salmonella. That all, that all happens in the private sector through private investment where you have uh, private individuals who have an incentive to produce profit. And so they're going to do what they can to uh, cut costs and and increase production. Okay, fine. Then let's think about something else. Northrop Grumman and Lockheed 
and Lockheed Martin. Those mm-hmm. are government contractors. They do development and research for arms for U.S. military. Yes, they are. And they have contracts gov- with the United States government gov- and the military. So gov- mm-hmm. are we able to do contracts with other renewable energy companies? But in the case, well, for one, in, in the case of Northrop Grumman and uh, other uh, private companies and corporations in the military industrial complex, they are private actors. They are acting within their own interest to produce a profit. And in the case of the United States, they're just uh, another customer in which they're able to uh, provide for them their product. And even then, uh, the United States gets swindled. Uh, uh, They pay a lot more for um, products from Northrop Grumman than their actual market value because Northrop Grumman understands that bureaucrats who spend money that isn't theirs because it's taxpayer dollars have no actual sense of what a dollar is worth. So they're able to charge uh, government bureaucrats uh, um, charged up uh, prices that uh, aren't actually what uh, their products are at, a, in a, at market value. But as you you had suggested, doing the same private government contracting with uh, renewable forms of energy, you would still have that same problem where we have private companies who are motivated solely to make a profit, who would be charging uh, racked up uh, prices for their products to the United States because the United States uh, does not value the money that they have because it's taxpayer dollars and uh, they're able to just expropriate that from the American citizenry and that which they can't expropriate further they uh, borrow through um, contraction of debt through other foreign powers so that in of itself it would be economically uh, well it would one be economically unstable and it would be one in which the United States would be losing money to, uh, from what they would actually be gaining back in uh, how, how much, they, however much they would potentially be able to save with these forms of uh, green energy that they would be purchasing. And then, of course, the, the question comes in of where these, uh, where these renewable, where these uh, um, green, this green infrastructure would be allocated in what geographic areas, which would require a bureaucratic process, which would take incredibly long, and there would be uh, intense bureaucratic red tape, which would take even more time, and it would just be a very inefficient process, surely more inefi- uh, a lot more inefficient than what could be done through a private setting. That's why I believe that private industry and private individuals should be free to compete in the energy market, and that in time, it will come to a point where green energy and wind energy and uh, hydrothermal energy, that the cost of those forms of energy will uh, be less than that of oil and coal, and that those will become the main forms of energy that we use. Okay. Well, seeing that we're getting very close to hitting the one hour mark, um, 
I think it's about us. I think it's about time for us to begin with some closing arguments after the very heated conversation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, in the end, well, actually, you know what, Cooper, was that like your kind of closing-ish argument? Uh, let me, well, let me hear what you have to say. Okay. Well, how I feel is that Yes, eventually, the market will conjure up something that will be much cheaper to implement when it comes to renewable energy. But for the time being, governments must do what they can do, whatever they can do, to protect the environment through international agreements and wait for the market or wait for private industries to catch up and begin implementing more cost-effective methods and resources the fact is i think the fact that in the environment has become such a political issue is just completely wrong it should be it shouldn't be a political issue because it's just about our planet it's just about our survivability as a species it's about protecting our world so in the end I'm going to throw in a nice German phrase here because okay. I really like German. All right, let's see. Die Umwelt über alles. Oh. The environment above all. That's all I have to say. All right. So what I what I what I would say is that just as our environment is diverse and has diverse ecosystems and has a diverse array of problems, you are going to require a diverse set of solutions. And those solutions uh, are best to be implemented on a decentralized, localized scale through a federative uh, structure like we have in the United States and Germany has, and uh, Switzerland and Austria. And it's also going to require uh, natural market forces to bring us to a point where economies can naturally sustain themselves with renewable forms of energy such as solar and wind. And I believe that to Entrust the, to entrust the dire responsibility of environmental protection and conservation in the hands of a super disenfranchised uh, global elite, uh, such as those in the Paris Accord, to write up obligations for every country that they may or may not uh, uphold and upon which there is no intermediate body to uh, coerce them to uphold, uh, it is imperative that we as a global human race need to think globally but act locally. You know, uh, those at the, uh, those who uh, operate uh, 
global um, councils like the Paris Accord to reduce uh, carbon emissions, to uh, decrease pollution, to provide a better environment, don't understand the needs of the people who live within these uh, local ecosystems. And there is no better form of government, I believe, to better recognize the needs of localized communities of people than state and local governments. And I don't believe that there is any greater force to provide a stable uh, economy to move to renewable forces of energy than the forces of the market. And that, I suppose, is my closing statement. All right. Well, I think that's about it for this conversation. I agree. Yeah. It was, yeah, a, good it was a very productive conversation. Yeah, we brought we brought both brought up a lot of good arguments and good points. And that's nice to see between liberal and the conservative. Yeah. Usually, when it comes to like these topics, you would see people going to like a yelling match. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is quite yeah, unfortunate. Very, very much so. Yeah. Um. Anyway, well, thank you for thank listening. You for um yeah thank you for being with us um yes thank you for being with us dear listeners uh we'll be back every friday for a new episode with a new topic new recent events and all that good stuff um make sure to follow us on twitter we have a twitter account now um and the um was it the usernames in the description it's Immature politi and then like it ends with the one. I don't know why Twitter did that to us. It's a bit odd. So yeah, um, the Twitter uh, information is down. Will be down in like the description, and you can follow us on Twitter, ask questions, and we might be able to feature those on the podcast, which is always nice and handy. Um, Cooper, do you have anything else to uh, say? Nope, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Well. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a great day. And yeah. Yeah.